Great. Let's uh, pray for a moment. Father, would you help us? Father, would you speak to us? Father, would you make yourself known to us? Would you peel back the things in our lives that stop us from seeing you? Would you take down the things that we or others have built that cloud out who you are and all that you long to do? Would your spirit rest upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okie doke, we're racing on towards the uh, end of our healing series, hashtag uh, God Heals. Uh, can I just uh, underline what Paul said a few moments ago? We, we would love to capture some of the things that God has been doing that haven't been widely shared. Well, what's been true over the last six, eight weeks or two, however long we've been uh, on this journey, is, is that week by week, people are telling stories, either within their own kind of circle of uh, discipleship and uh, sh- sharing of life, or, or, or perhaps, uh, uh, sometimes happens, I'll pass someone on the way in or the way out, and they'll say, guess what? And out will come a story of something that God has done. We want to try and capture a little bit more deliberately over these next two weeks, what God's been up to, what God's been doing, uh, in order that we might share them. So as you go out, uh, just over the way, there's that table. Uh, I'd ask you to make the emotional effort, and it does take a bit of emotional effort, uh, just uh, one minute, 60 seconds of your time to write something down that God has been doing. Some of us have been healed. Some of us have understood some new things. Some of us have been released in a, a spiritual gift of one kind or another. And as we tell those stories... So it inspires and encourages others of us in our uh, journey. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that's true too for, for those that are listening on, uh, online. And we have a increasing number of people that are following this series online. We'd also love to hear from you. And you can email those uh, stories in via our uh, website. Let's um, pick up then today with... Uh, um, a slightly different uh, take on this healing journey. As we think about the people that we truly are as God's children, discovering my or our true uh, self or selves. What we've been thinking about most of the time over these last weeks are the things that need to be changed in our lives or removed from our lives in order for us to be released and uh, healed. So I have a fear and I'm asking God to take away my fear. I I have an illness and I'm asking God to remove that illness from my life. I have a hurt or a wound and I'm asking God to to put his healing, uh, pour his healing in that that hurt might be taken away. Today though, I want us to think about if we are to walk ever closer to the people that God wants us to be, if we are to walk a healing journey that nudges us further and further to God's purpose for our lives, then it's not something that we need to have taken away, 
But this morning, something that we need to receive, something that we need to embrace, something that we need to accept for ourselves. And in fact, strictly speaking, as uh, Christians, to embrace or to acknowledge something that we have already received, something that is already true about who we are. And that's... uh, uh, um, What I want us to get to in the next sort of 20 minutes is to be in that place where we go, what I need in order to become more whole is to receive, to embrace something that God has for me uh, today. Hopefully as we get going, it'll make a bit more sense. To help us uh, uh, access what I want us to uh, explore this morning, I want us to think firstly about the healing uh, prayers of Jesus that, that were incredibly direct, very powerful, short, repeatable kind of prayers. To ears, he said, be open. To eyes, he said, see. People that can't walk, he said, walk. Uh, They're not complicated prayers. And most of the recorded prayers that we have of Jesus are associated with healing and God moving in power. So that would lead me to believe that most of our prayers should be short, repeatable, and focus on people seeing people released and changed. Because of the power and nature of the disciples, of the Jesus' praying, the disciples naturally ask Jesus to teach them to pray. And Jesus begins a lesson on prayer with what we now have as the Lord's Prayer. What I want us to focus on is where Jesus starts when he teaches those disciples how to pray. Because what Jesus gives those disciples right at the beginning in that opening sequence is the key that will unlock God's healing in our lives. What Jesus helps them see is the key that will unlock God's healing in our lives. You see, there were a dozen brilliant names for God in the Old Testament that Jesus could have chose. chose. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Uh, A great name to call God if you're coming to him in prayer and asking him for something coming to a God who's big enough to provide you with everything that you need, Jehovah Jireh. Jesus could have chosen another Old Testament name, Jehovah Rophe, God who heals, God who transforms our life, or Jehovah Nissi, God who is my banner, the one who, who is sovereign over everything in my life, or Jehovah Rahe, the God who leads and directs as a shepherd, or Jehovah Shalom, the God who gives us a peace that is so encompassing that it transforms everything. Not to mention Al Shaddai, the all-sufficient God, or Al Roe, the God who transcends all things, Al Elohim, the supreme and glorious God. Loads of names that Jesus could have chosen as he began to teach those disciples to pray. But he sets all of those names aside. And he says, when you pray, pray, Father. When you pray, pray, Father, you will have heard countless people explain how the Jewish community listening in on Jesus talking to these disciples, how the disciples themselves would have been speechless at what Jesus was saying, call God Dad in the vernacular. 
teaching a, a Jewish boy and girl to speak, Abba and Imma, Daddy and Mummy, were the basic, basic words that a little child would learn. And Jesus says, I want you, as you begin to pray, to begin, Father. It was so scandalous that in the end they would nail Jesus to a cross for what he proclaimed, that you can know God as your Father. But don't miss what Jesus is saying. He is not saying that actually you might have thought as God as being such a massive supreme being that every time you approach him there needs to be this huge distance between you because God is so great and you are so small. That might well be true. Jesus goes on to say, our Father who literally fills the heavens and the earth. Our Father, hallowed, glorious, be your name. Our Father who fills more than the expanse of the heavens. Jesus is saying, this God whom you rightly approach, thinking that he is so big, so transcendent, so above and beyond you, that you dare not even speak out his name. Yes, that God you can know as your personal, intimate Father. And the religious people couldn't cope with it. And so they plotted to kill him. And they knelt him to a cross for it because they said he was blaspheming. And don't miss the equally shocking word in this opening teaching on how to pray that Andrew referred to in his prayers in the opening worship. Our Father. That's a weird thing for Jesus to say, don't you think? You see, I cannot say our Father to you because we have different fathers. At least, we both think so. And it's better that we leave it like that. Because we don't have the same Father. But Jesus, the only one who supremely could say, I am God's Son and He is my Father, Jesus says to us, our Father, which makes Jesus our brother, which makes us part of the family along with Jesus himself. Don't miss the incredible truth here as Jesus directly begins to help the disciples understand how they need to relate to God, therefore how they need to pray, therefore how they need to live. He says you must understand that the God who fills heaven and earth is the one that you now call your Father. We're all on a healing journey. God wants us whole. We will make the biggest steps in our healing journeys as we embrace the reality that God is our Father and we are His children. That's probably more than 144 characters, but it needs to be tweeted. We will make the biggest stride in our healing journeys as we embrace God as our Father and the reality that we are His 
children. John just blurts it out towards the end of his life. He says, behold, uh, 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 an older translation, or see what manner, see how great the Father's love for us is. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished, some of you are showing your age, upon us, that we should be called children of God, for that is who we are. Why is John reminding them that they are God's children? Because it's so easy to forget and to live as though it is not true. This is massive news. A breaking revelation, breathtaking rather, revelation that we have a father and we are sons and daughters. Adoption is a fantastic thing. He chose us, predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I understand that for those of us here who have been adopted, uh, have had an earthly adoption, that we might think about that process in a negative way because what overwhelms us maybe is the sense of rejection that we received from our physical earthly mother and or father. Nevertheless, adoption is a fantastic thing. Adoption is an incredible reality in an earthly sense because when you were born, your parents didn't choose you, but when you are adopted... You have been chosen to be brought in. You have been called to become part of that family. God, knowing every single thing about you, has chosen you to be part of his family. I've said this before. If you knew everything about me, you wouldn't let me be the minister here. And if I knew everything there was to know about you, I would never have let you join. There is a God who knows everything about us and he chooses us. High five, amen, that's kind of okay, it's not bad. Who knows and chooses you. To adopt you into his family, that reality, that truth, is the most freeing truth in our lives possible. We will leap forward in our healing as we embrace the truth that God chose you, chose me, and brought us into his family. But the saddest truth is this. Even though when we came to Christ, when we heard his call on our lives and we were adopted into his family, even though that is true, we can still live as though we are orphans rather than sons or daughters. Many Christians, like the prodigal son, return home only to be a servant and never discover they've been called to be a son. 
or a daughter. Remember the story? Prodigal son, he gets himself, he's eating in the pigsty, he knows he's got to go home. And he he says to himself, hey, even the people that serve in my father's house are better than what I'm experiencing. I don't deserve to be a son any longer, but I'm going to make my way home. I'm no longer worthy for sonship, but maybe, just maybe, the father will let me be a servant. And so he makes his way home, believing that the best he can hope for is to become a servant in his father's house. He knows he's messed up. He knows he's exchanged the feast of the farmhouse for the pods, uh, the pig, the pods of uh, food in the pig trough. And he can only imagine what his father might say. And he can only think that maybe, just maybe, if his father is welcoming enough, he can be a servant. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he turns the last bend, believing in his heart that he's lost the right of sonship. And then everything changes. His father races towards him. His father, this picture of God, runs towards him and grabs him and kisses him and brings the robe and the sandals and the ring, everything that says, forget that nonsense about being a servant. You're my son, and you were dead, but now you're alive. As Christians, we have come back home, but still sometimes live as though we are servants and not sons. If only I serve a little bit more, then maybe God will be happy with me. If only I do a little bit more in the farmhouse, then maybe I'll be more accepted. If only I achieve a little bit more, then maybe I'm good enough now to be one of the hired people. When we come home to God, what matters is this, time to tweet, is not that we are a failure, but that God is our Father. When we come home, what matters is not that we are a failure, but that God is our Father. Son of mine was lost, but now found. But many of us find ourselves, even though we're back in the farmhouse, even though we're back in the Father's home, working like we are servants. And of course, don't misunderstand me, there is a sense in which we are. But what we miss out is the reality of being sons and daughters. When I feel like there are things I ought to do, I'm living as an orphan and not as a son. When I strive to be accepted, I'm living as an orphan, not as a son. When I feel insecure in my relationship with God or with others, I'm living like an orphan and not as a son. Jesus has called us into sonship. Hallelujah. On my blog... I've posted, or it will post in a few minutes, uh, I don't know what you call it, a kind of table. And it's got a list of different responses down the middle. And how depending on whether we're embracing God's fatherhood of us, or whether we're more uh, like an orphan, even as a Christian, how we respond in different ways. I'd, I'd urge you to take some time this week to look through that list. 
and to reflect on those areas where your life is more like that of an orphan rather than a son or a daughter. Because it's in that place that God wants to meet you as your father. And and when he meets us in any part of our lives as our father, and in every area of our lives where we discover that we're sons and daughters, I tell you, everything changes. That is the game changer that nudges us further towards what God has for us. The trouble is, again, as Andrew was helpfully uh, introducing us to earlier on, we, we relate to God so often on the basis of our earthly fathers. If they've been good, that really helps us understand the father heart of God. In areas where they've been not so good or downright awful, that also causes struggle and strife in the way we relate to God as our father. If your father was stern, it's hard to imagine that God could be kind. If your father was pathetically passive, it's hard to imagine that God would be active and interested in the detail of your life. If your father was quick to point out what you did wrong, it's hard to believe that God wants to celebrate the good things that exist in your life and so on. Does that make sense? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and I want you to describe how your driving changes when you discover a police car is following you. Go. You become a little anxious, if I may be as bold to say. Because you're anxious that a fault or a mistake will be exposed. If you imagine God like some police car that's following you, there is a sense of relief when you turn left and the car turns right. Yes, there is a sense of relief. So if you imagine God in that kind of relating mode towards us, then when you read a verse, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, think, not likely. I want to make sure I turn a path that keeps my distance from this God, if that's what he is like. If your father never hugged you and embraced you and held you close and said that he loved you, it's hard to believe that God would want to do any of those things for you today. The truth, though, is kind of in us, isn't it? We kind of instinctively know whether our fathers have been good and bad. We instinctively know what we needed, even if we didn't get it. We instinctively understand what we had and the blessing or otherwise of it. God is the Father that we have been looking for all our lives. But there are experiences and situations that cause us to keep our distance, that cause us to avoid Him that cause us to turn left in the hope that he'll turn right. As a result, even as Christians, we can find ourselves in areas of our lives living as orphans rather than as sons. And you would agree with me, wouldn't you, that if you live as an orphan rather than as a son, that will have a direct an inevitable effect on your health and on your well-being as a person. You've been adopted 
as a son. You see, when we lost sonship right at the beginning, when the world fell and there was this almighty crash, we lost so many of the things that sonship gives us. Sonship gives us a sense of significance, a sense of worth and value, but we lost it. And so we live in a world striving in so many different ways to find significance and value and meaning and purpose. Fame and fortune drive us at whatever level we find ourselves at. Am I noticed? Do I matter? Am I useful? We are deeply insecure about our significance and that affects the whole of our well-being. Trying to find significance is an exhausting search. We lost our security. Adam and Eve didn't worry for anything. It was an all-inclusive holiday. Everything was there. But we worry for everything. We worry for the things that we don't even need to worry about. We worry for the things that we have got, and we worry for the things that we haven't got, and worrying makes us sick, doesn't it? I am less than whole, when I worry, when I feel insecure. One of the things my kids love to do is to put me on a roundabout. It doesn't matter whether it's a small roundabout or a big roundabout. If I've gone round once, even half the way round, I'm feeling totally insecure, totally at sea with myself. My internal organs are going upside down and inside out, and I feel as sick as a dog. So I ask them kindly to stop and let me off. They don't listen. It takes me hours to recover. Ah, as I crawl away when I finally get off. But that insecurity affects the whole of my being. I know I'm weak and vulnerable and useless and all that. But the same in life. The moment you feel insecure, that takes away your wholeness. Am I right? And we feel very insecure sometimes. It's what we lost. And we lost our acceptance. You see, Adam didn't wake up going, I wonder if Eve will love me today. Eve didn't wake up and go, oh, wonder if Adam will be interested. They didn't wake up and say, I wonder if God will come to the garden today. Perhaps he's bored. Perhaps he's fed up with us. Perhaps God was only doing it because he had to, because he was God. But tomorrow he won't bother coming because there'll be another Adam and another Eve that are more interesting enough. So God will go to them and we'll be just left stuck here. They lost. What we were meant to have by rights is to know in the core of our being that we're accepted and loved. When God adopted us into his family, all of these things were restored. If only we can step into that, embrace that, receive that. So some other things on my blog as well, I've put a load of verses that help us meditate and think about what it means to be significant as a child of God, what it means to be secure as a child of God, what it means to be accepted as a child of God. If I know I am adopted, then of course I'm significant. I'm chosen. God chose me. 
Boom. And you too. God chose me to bear fruit that will last. 32 years ago this weekend, my then minister wrote that on the inside of the Bible he gave me when I was baptized. God says, I've chosen you to bear fruit that will last. When I think that I am not significant, that is a lie. When you think you are not significant, that is a lie. And you know what you need to do with lies. Because a few weeks ago we talked about we have to be ruthless, we have to pull them down. It is not a truth. And we dare not let things that are not true establish a reality in our lives for fear of what they will create. Any sense of being insignificant is a lie because I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. So, of course, I'm secure. Can God provide everything that I need? Or will there be a moment in my life that catches him off guard, that outwits him, that is outside his control? Will there be a moment when God turns to Jesus and says, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that was going to happen. We weren't ready for that. Is there a moment when God has not got enough resource for me? No. But every time I live as if there are moments when I'm lacking, I'm living as an orphan. Can you see? It's true that I'm a son. It's true that I'm secure in what God has done, in His provision for my life. But every time I live as if I lack something, I've stepped out of sonship back to being an orphan again. I'm a child of God, so of course, of course, I'm accepted. I might not always feel it, but when I don't feel it, that's a lie. Because I'm adopted. I'm a son. I'm a chosen child. Every time I think if I work hard, I'll get some of this, it's a nonsense. You are a child of God because He chose you. And that's the end of it. There's nothing that you did to deserve that. Believe me. Look at you. Look at me. Nothing we could do to deserve that. He chose you. He chose me. And adopted us into His family. We are sons and daughters. Think about Jesus at His baptism. He hadn't done anything by then, apart from being perfect for 30 years, but hey, that's no big deal. In terms of his public ministry, he hadn't stepped into anything. He hadn't proved himself, hadn't fulfilled the Father's call. But his status is that of sonship. That's who he is. He can't undo that. That's what was true about him. He couldn't earn it because he was always a son. There was never a moment when he wasn't a son. Jesus' significance and his security and his acceptance all came from his relationship with his father. And Jesus says to you and me, come follow me, live like me. Which means that all of our significance and all of our security and all of our acceptance is not found, cannot be got anywhere else but other than knowing that God is our Father. And a beautiful thing happened at Jesus' baptism. It's a beautiful thing that all of us need. It's a revelation of God's 
fatherness, of God's father heart. It's a revelation of a truth that is true for you and me, but we need to know it in our hearts and in our heads. Jesus heard the Father's voice and he felt through the Spirit the Father's touch. It is that reality more than anything else that will help us embrace God's healing for our lives. The more I step into sonship, the greater the reality of my inheritance this side of eternity. The more I step into sonship, the greater the reality of my inheritance this side of eternity. There might be stuff in your life that you need God to heal, sort out, fix, change, remove. And there is. We spent weeks looking at that stuff. But do you know what you need? Do you know what I need? I need a revelation of God as my Father. I need to know the Father's touch. And I need to hear the Father's voice. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You can't work it up. You can sing, shine, Jesus, shine, till kingdom come, and you won't get it. Amen, says someone. All you can do is receive it. It's a revelation. The, the heavens were ripped open. See that bit? The heavens are ripped open, literally. And the Holy Spirit descends and brings a revelation. I have one simple prayer for us this morning. And that's that we would receive a revelation of God as our Father and we His sons and daughters. We're going to sing a a song called uh, The Father's Song.